Our sermon passage this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. We're continuing a sermon series on that book. Uh, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who was one of the kings of old and uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, he was somewhat of a battle-hardened man uh, and very honest in his writing. And in the book, he struggles extensively with the tension we see between the way that God calls us to live, the way he lived himself, and that things don't always turn out well for those who care. Uh, I, my prayer this morning is that this uh, passage would be like food for us, uh, stimulating growth and uh, sustaining life. This comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God because they fear before him. It will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know He cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
Now, I noticed when you just said, thanks be to God. Did some of you struggle with that? Really, I'm supposed to give thanks for this? The book of Ecclesiastes should set you uh, on the edge of your seat a little bit because you, you, you've got to be hearing things that are perplexing, difficult to follow. Uh, where is this going? Why is it here? Why should I care? This is a little bit burdensome and hard to follow. So uh, may God richly bless us as we un- unpack this book today and seek to apply it to our lives in light of the cross. And so will you join me in prayer? Let's, let's go before our Heavenly Father. Lord, we pause before your majestic name, your great name, and ask that as we explore this text, we will come away and realize your name is greater and bigger and more beautiful than we imagined. Do that, and if you would do that, Lord, we promise that we will return the praise that is due you. So help us to see what is your due. And uh, that's as foggy, it's unclear, often in our lives. So we pray in this moment you'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me give you sort of the flow of the text. We're, if you're new with us, this is the middle of Ecclesiastes. And you can see that the text here is, is Solomon, who is a king, and he first addresses what it's like to respond to a king. And the king usually thinks he is sovereign, an absolute monarch. They generally don't think of themselves as accountable to anyone. So Solomon says, let me help you understand how to work with one who's like that, a, so- a sovereign. So that's kind of the first couple of verses, uh, of the first nine verses at least, about how to respond to a sovereign. And then when you look out on life and you see inconsistencies, you see things that are just not making sense, you see the wicked getting praised and, the, and those people who are generally good, they, they get you know, vilified. And so you see these inconsistencies in life. And then he kind of comes back to a theme you know you're struggling, life's heavy, you can't figure out things, you can't make a lot of connections. Well, you know what? You really can't see what God's doing. And that's part of the great heaviness of life. It's kind of the whole passage right there. Hey, I could close in prayer. How about that? Um, so let's, look, let's, let's unpack this. And you can see what I'm doing here in this text, and that is we're leaning into the gospel. We're leaning into the cross. We recognize this is God's word. It's inspired. We recognize it's important. And we recognize that Solomon is giving us truth, but it is limited. And so we now, uh, in this outline I put together, I'm, I'm forcing all of us to think biblically about the whole of Revelation, what has God given us. And so that's my, that's my attempt here. So the first idea is wisdom. We need wisdom uh, to see our only good and sovereign king. And we're going to talk about a tyrant and talk about government. And what we need is wisdom to see a, a good and sovereign king who is Jesus. So let me tell you right up front where I'm going with this. And so Solomon um, is, is really uh, d- addressing how important it is to know wisdom. In verse 1, he's saying wisdom can change the way you even look. It's, a, it's beautiful. It's deep. It changes you from the inside out. W- to know wisdom means that you are at peace. Your conscience is at peace. You're sort of a, you're, you're cool in difficult circumstances. You know how to look around and be what's called circumspect. What does this particular moment require of me? What prudence or wisdom? And, you're, and it's affecting your face. That's what he says in verse 1. And ultimately, wisdom can even make a, 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 a person's face look peaceful in, 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 in turmoil. Okay, so then he sets it up. Let me give you some turmoil. How do you deal with a tyrant? 
How do you deal with a king who has absolute power? And so verses 2 through 9 are all about how to respond to this, to this king. And first of all, keep, keep the king's command, verse 2. When the king speaks, you need to listen to him. Uh, because of God's oath to him. Do you see that there in verse 2? And we're not really sure if that is um, you making an oath to God to obey the king, or it's the king has somehow made an oath to God. But God has installed this king, and so, uh, so you need to respond to him. And, and the attitude Solomon has seen, no doubt, in his life is a casual attitude toward the king's authority. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Look at verse 3. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. In other words, uh, you've heard something you don't like, and now you sort of turn and quickly leave, and as you leave, you communicate some sort of dishonor to the king. Not a good idea, Solomon's saying. And then don't rally uh, yourself around a, an evil cause. Look, look at the end of verse uh, 3 there. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Be careful. This king uh, can unleash his fury upon you should he think that you are engaging in insurrection and so these are some general addressing of the heart. Solomon has some good ideas. Uh, keep, keep your cool in the midst of a king you do not like. It's very, very hard. It's hard for some of us to handle the DMV, right? How many forms do I have to fill out? And, oh, I, I didn't bring this right. And, and then we have to deal with government for us. And, and Americans, and typically, when you talk about a king to Americans, they say, hey, we, we, uh, we like to rebel against that idea. Uh, that's what we specialize in as Americans, uh, especially kings who are corrupt and kings who don't come through with their, with their word, and uh, they try to tax us without representation. You know, you, know, you know the story, right? So when we think about our attitude toward government, we have to pause, and all these laws and all this burdensome increasing the growing of the state, we're constantly aware of this. This is what states do, by the way. It's hard to tell Caesar you can't get this big. And uh, Solomon is saying, look, you can't even come up to the king and say, what are you doing? You can't even question him. Mm. So that's hard. Now, Christianity can work under this kind of situation, by the way. Christianity doesn't have to have a kind of form of government that we happen to enjoy. Christianity has worked under all kinds of different scenarios. So verse 4, remember the king is supreme. And um, so this is hard for us. This is hard for us. We have an, an allergic reaction to authority. I don't know if you heard about, heard about the guy in Florida that, uh, some, some weeks ago. He got arrested. He'd go into McDonald's and ask for a cup for water, and they would give him a cup for water. Then he'd, then he'd go over and get a Coke. And then he'd go outside and drink it. And so uh, a manager came out up to him and said, look, you've got to pay at least a dollar for the, you got to pay a dollar for the coat. And the guy said, no, I'm not, no, no, I'm not paying it. So he called the police. And the police arrested him because he'd been doing this at fast food places. And it was his third violation. It's a misdemeanor. Third violation, three strikes, you're out. It's a felony now. He's going to jail for a $1 Coke allergic to authority. This is our condition. So Solomon's saying, be careful, be careful, three strikes, you're out. Look at verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. This is good advice. In other words, it may be a ridiculous command, but keep it, and you will not uh, be charged with evil. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Hey, here's some hope. 
remember, if you're patient with a king, even a king you don't like, a government you don't care for, be patient. A proper time might be coming. A proper time to fix things. A proper time to get a better representative. A par, a pro, be, be patient. A, a moment might come in the future. You're going to be perhaps more satisfied than you are now. And then verses uh, 6 through 9, are, uh, Solomon's reflecting out loud. Uh, do you know, this tyrant we're, we're all concerned about, this tyrant is actually in trouble. And, and now this, he's providing for us a wise way to respond to oppression and hardship. 6 through 9, here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the tyrant is using evil. The tyrant is cooperating with evil. And this will never, ever work. A, 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 an unjust government, a government that oppresses its people, is, doing, is making a deal with the devil, and it will not work for them. In fact, they will implode. This is kind of the, the way he fl- it flows from 6 through 9. Verse 7, here it is. For he does not know what is to be. This is the king. For who can tell him how it will be? Meaning, you know how you don't know the future? That tyrant king, he doesn't know the future either. He's as limited as you are when it comes to the future. This is hopeful. This is good. You don't know if he'll get stricken with some disease next year and be gone. You don't know if some greater king is going to come and womp on him. Meaning, hang on. Slow down. Don't, be, don't, don't fail to apply wisdom here. Remember. He's as limited as you are. Verse 7, isn't that interesting? You've got to let Ecclesiastes do its work with you. Stay with it. Uh, it may not come to you in the first 30 seconds you read it. But go, wait a minute. Ah, Solomon understands that kings come and go, and this is what the, 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 the wise person does. They realize this. Okay, so then verse, uh, verse 8, here, here it comes again. No man has power to retain the spirit. Now, that's the English standard version. Uh, the word there, spirit, literally can mean wind. And some translations have wind at this point. And so here he goes. Solomon's saying, look, I'm going to show you how helpless the king is. The one that you see is all-powerful. He can't control the wind. Think about it. Go stand out in a wheat field and just stand and let the wind blow over you. Your king can't deal with that. He's clueless about tomorrow, by the way, and he's clueless about how to control uh, everything. He can't control everything. He's limited. And he's limited over the next thing. Look at the end of verse 8 there. No man has power to retain the spirit, or excuse me, the very beginning of verse 8, or power over the day of death. And now, now look not at his throne, but look at his humanity. Don't look at his weaponry. Look at how he's getting older. Don't look at his great army. Notice that he himself had to run for shelter when that big storm came. Solomon's saying, notice how weak he is. Let that dwell in your heart. Let, perhaps even let that have, as believers, compassion. Some compassion for those who use their power to oppress And that we know that they've engaged in evil, and evil will not deliver them. And we cry out, Lord, deliver us from evil. And we pray for for our world and for our our local government, state government, national government. And so we look at his weak weak humanity. Now, uh, 
what's going on here is that, and then verse, verse 8, uh, it says, there is no discharge from war. Do you see that phrase there toward the end, middle of verse 8? There's no discharge from war. That means when war breaks out, it affects everybody. It's, it's chaotic. It's fully engaging. It's, it's, it's fully consuming. When a war breaks out, it, it, it involves everybody. Nothing is the same. So is someone who has engaged in evil in order to run a country. They are fully, they've sold out to evil. They have, and then, and then here's, what, here's what happens. Nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Do you know what wickedness does? It consumes them. It's like the black widow who gets what she wants from the male spider, and then what does she, what does she do? Anybody know? She kills him. All right, good job. All right. She kills him, and that's why we call her a black what? Widow. As a kid, I used to kill these in our, in our woodshed in Southern California. Kill, kill those black widows. They're dangerous. She's a black widow. Why is that? Because she consumes, even cannibalizes uh, her mate. Evil does that. Solomon's saying, look, be wise. The one who has engaged in evil to run the country is ultimately going to be eaten by evil, consumed by it. The house will come crashing in. Someone, someone once said, if you dine with the devil, use a long spoon. So this, this basic wisdom is good, isn't it? It has a, has a nice, nice ring to it. It's good. This is 3,000 years ago. Solomon's writing this stuff. And he's saying, look, I know what it's like to be a king. I know what it's like to be a king. I know it's like to be one who's all authority. And then he gives us this good wisdom. Be careful. Don't despair. If that king has engaged in evil, evil is going to consume his kingdom. But Christians, we read this as Christians. And we have a better government than even our own United States government. We have a government that is run by Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be tempted to roll our eyes and turn in temptation to despair when we think about government. You believe too much in human government if you do that. That's my issue as well. We have a good and sovereign King Jesus. He has come and used his power to save us and to serve us. Solomon says a careful word about the king. He is supreme. Not quite Solomon. There's a greater king. And we learn this from the greater Solomon, who is Jesus Christ. He is the supreme one. The reason why we give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's is not because Caesar tells us. It's because Jesus tells us to to give Caesar the stuff that is his. But we are to render to God the things that are God's. And ultimately, that's our soul, our body, our wills, our, our, our affections. Psalm 115, God is in heaven and our God does whatever pleases him. There's the sovereign. There's the ruler of the universe. And of course, Solomon wisely encourages us, verse eight, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, whoever keeps a command will know, know no evil thing. And to this we reply, but the first command is to listen to Jesus. Not to live in fear of the government, but it's first of all to live by the word of Jesus who calls us as Lord over all the lords, as king over all the kings. And he says to us, come to me and I will give you rest. 
That's our good and sovereign king. And then he tells us in John 10, 29, no one will be able to snatch us out of the Father's hand. That's the good and sovereign king. So there are significant limitations upon that tyrant that Solomon is describing. But there are no limitations on the good and sovereign king Jesus. He, the, the, that tyrant that Solomon describes, he can't even control the wind. Remember that? He can't control the wind. But our Jesus, Mark 4.41, we hear the disciples say, after Jesus had calmed the storm in, in the Sea of Galilee, they say, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Our good and sovereign King Jesus runs the government. And we happen to be in that kingdom, in that government, by his good grace. Human government feels like, it feels like they own us. It feels oppressive. It feels all-powerful, doesn't it? It feels awful. April 15 or the IRS calling or whatever happens, it feels like they just own our lives. We also see the sadness, the sadness that overcomes governments. Eventually, kind of buying into some evil or oppressive approach to people. But that's not the government that oversees our lives. It's a calming of the storm government, bringing peace. Jesus Christ comes into this world. And he comes, and and perhaps Rome was at its greatest peak at, at the moment he arrives. And yet we see Rome, a couple hundred years later, dissolve and implode because of wickedness. Jesus says, Luke 12, 32, Do not fear, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Solomon gives us good advice. But let us listen to the greater Solomon who says to us, Matthew 28, 19, uh, All authority has been given unto me. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's the one who is our sovereign and good king. All right, secondly, just by way of uh, looking at the rest of the text, 11 through 14 is really about all these injustices that are going on, all the inconsistencies of life, many of them coming from probably the city of Jerusalem where Solomon would would be looking and watching. Uh, Look at verse 10, that, that there's people who get buried and they've lived a wicked life. Look at verse 10. And they used to go in and out of the most holy place. It's sort of like they, they had some special status among holy places, perhaps, perhaps the tabernacle in, in, in Solomon's day, perhaps the, perhaps the temple. But then he says, and they're praised in the city where they had done such things. In other words, they're seen as, they're seen as righteous people. Everyone knows, Wait, that, guy's, that guy's a crook. Why did you give him this royal, royal burial? And everyone made a big procession of this individual. And met, but Solomon and others are sitting back, well, well, this can't be right. This is what you do to the righteous person, the, the servant, the one who gave away their life. This person doesn't deserve this. So he's seeing this craziness. Uh, irreligious people, immoral people are, are given status in this life. Oh, that's not the way it is. That's terrible. And, and uh, then he says... Um, he says it's all vain, it's all vapor, it's all, this is just, you can't find consistency in this world. And then look at uh, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, uh, really would help a society if someone commits a, a heinous crime. And then the, the sentence is given within 20 days. That would really, really change things. Probably. That's what Solomon's saying. 
it, it needs to be done speedily. What happens? The heart of ch- the children of man is fully set to do evil. Well, there's a really important principle there. If someone knows that they're just going to enjoy 30 years of jail time and three meals a day, we all have an instinct about this is not right. In fact, this must increase evil in a nation. This doesn't put down evil. So Solomon is looking at this world. He, he's been a king over things, and he hasn't been able to, to manage everything properly. So here it is. Uh, this is very troublesome. Look at, uh, look at verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, he lives a long life, prolongs his life. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. So he sort of throws us some hope. Hey, hang in there. Fear God. I know you see lots of inconsistencies. Look at verse 13. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So God is God's going to be mindful. God's not going to forget. And their life will pass like a shadow. So he's trying to encourage us. Remember that, that more often than not, uh, you know, Bonnie and Clyde uh, die, a young, die young, right? More often than not, the, the criminal uh, it dies in a shootout, right? In other words, Solomon's saying, hang in there. Usually their, their day passes like a shadow. So this is, this is from the wisdom literature of the Bible, very wise. And then he, he, uh, he goes to verse 14. This is really, really bothersome. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there is a, is a righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. In other words, I said, this is also vanity. This is really troubling. People who deserve some praise or a reward in life, they get what's due uh, an evil person. And then what's due an evil person, which is like judgment or a sentence or jail time, a righteous person gets that. Solomon's saying, it's almost like Solomon's saying, I can't live with these inconsistencies of this world. It's vain, it's troubling. And so these are heavy days where injustice reigns. I love the Bible because you know what? If you really think about it, this is, you might think this is really troubling. I, I want to have a more uplifting view of life. You know, I want to be more inspired about things. Well, it's really interesting. If you live a while, you begin to see that the front page of the news troubles you. And the way the government conducts itself is troubling. And you see, in, the, 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 the more mature you get, I think, the more inconsistent you see. And, and if you're growing in wisdom, it's bothersome. And it's like you can't handle it. This is hard. I don't like this. And some, some people disengage and they detach themselves. And some, some, uh, some just don't get involved anymore because it's just so burdensome. You hear this sometimes from government officials who just can't wait to get out, right? They're just, it's, it, it, it's over. They just can't. It's too much. It's too much to figure out levels of patterns, consistencies, the relationship between what one does and what one receives. Ah, so, now, this all happens in a city. Solomon's likely looking at Jerusalem going, man, this place, ah, this place is messed up. Christian, what, what city captures your heart? What city are you watching in your mind's eye? What city captures the imagination of your heart? Well, we're called to think about a city as, pe- as God's people. And Sunday after Sunday, God gives us a vision of this endless days 
where justice will reign. God gives, Sunday after Sunday, your, your, your heart is lifted up, your soul is fed with the news of, ah, oh, there's a city where this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And this is why Jesus gave his life. Look at uh, Revelation 21. Let me just read this out loud to you. Listen to these words. John sees a city that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. For by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They, these nations, will bring into the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does not does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 22 through 27. There is a city that is to capture our imagination. It is, to, it is to so capture our imagination that we don't become hermits on a hill. We become the city on the hill, holding forth the light and glory of this city to the cities in our community. Jesus came to address how you are wired for ju- justice and how you can finally rejoice in a city of justice should be central our future glory should be central to our worship Sunday after Sunday and ultimately we see in Jesus Christ verse 14 applied the righteous one who received what the wicked deserve you see Ecclesiastes 8:14 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ that righteous one received what the wicked deserve and then Solomon concludes, he's, you can sense he's, sort of, sense he's struggling here. It's like, well, what do we do? What do we do with this world? What do I do? Well, he, he's got some wisdom here. I have to acknowledge him that. He's supposed to be the wisest man in the world. Is that right? So here he is, verse 15. And I commend joy. For man it has no good, under, no good thing under the sun. In other words, there's nothing better to do but to, now look at this line, but to eat and drink, and be joyful. For this will go well with him in his toil, the heaviness through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So uh, then he goes on, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. In other words, you're preoccupied with trying to make all the connections, all the meaning, consistencies. You're you're, You're an insomniac, trying to find reason in this world. Then he, then he concludes, look at verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. In other words, you really don't know what's underway. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Even if you have someone say they know uh, he is clueless. This is how Solomon ends this section. He's saying, eat, drink, and be joyful. Life is heavy. Don't stay out all night trying to figure these things out. And you know what? The really important things that would enlighten your heart, the really good things that you want to know that God is doing, God's not revealing those things. It's troubling. It's hard. 
What do you think about that? It feels heavy just to be up here and tell you that. There's a heaviness in the room right now. Pastor, don't leave us here. Don't leave us here. What is this work of God? This sense that you really can never know what God is up to. And we say, as Solomon has said three times, you just can't figure out what God is doing. We say, wait a minute, Solomon. You're just recommending to me that when I order a quesadilla, I get some chicken with it. Because that's better. Or when I order some wine, all right, I'll go for the little more expensive bottle. That's all you're saying to me, Solomon. You're just saying enjoy life. Life's hard. Is he giving us some wisdom? He is. He's giving us some wisdom because there's a lot we can't figure out as we toil in this world. But we would say we must listen to the greater Solomon at this moment. Solomon's vision is limited. We as Christians are not to shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know, who can tell what God is up to? The whole thing is a mystery. Life's inconsistency. I don't, life is inconsistent. And evil, gets, uh, evil seems to reign. And uh, we just throw up our hands and say, I don't know, let's, uh, let's go eat and find some pleasure in that. Solomon says, we can't see. But as Christians we say, we can see. We can see what God is doing because he's revealed what he's doing through his son. We can see. You can see spiritually, by faith, through the word of God, what God is doing. God has revealed to us his deep workings. He desires that you could see those things and they would lift up your heart and they would feed your soul and they would save you from despair. This is the wisdom that Jesus gives us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul told the Corinthians. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. That is what God is doing. You have privileges of greater revelation than Solomon had. This is what God is doing he has sent his son. Colossians 1.19 says, It pleased the Father that in him, in him should all fullness dwell. Hebrews chapter 1, The brightness of his glory and the express image of his son and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he, had made, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he has an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Philippians 2.6, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, the old King James says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. You know that Christ came. You know that Christ revealed what God would ultimately do for sinners. Solomon is giving us the best wisdom that was possible 3,000 years ago. And he wanted us to rest. He wanted us to enjoy life. And we find out that God's intention is for us to rest and for us to enjoy life. And we do it because of the Son of God. 
who came and did this great work for us. And so, yes, we are called to relax and to rest in Jesus. We are called to enjoy food and to enjoy drink. We do it not out of a turning away from, well, I just can't figure out what God's doing. We do it because we can know what God is doing. And let me ask you, does the work of God through Jesus Christ allow you to rest? Today is a day designated for rest. There's a book called The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness. There's a guy, a, a guy named Tim Chester, I think he's out of England, and he writes this. He says, he's actually quoting a, a gentleman named Richard Powers in 2004, and he talks about the contagion of real time. Listen to this. Quote, in real time, every second counts. Every minute must be maximized since we cannot stop the escaping moments. We have our machines give us the next best thing. Two moments crammed into one. Split screen, multitasking, mobile wireless voicemail, messaging forwarding, RSS feeds, picture in a picture. We don't need to miss a thing. In fact, we can't in real time. We live in two minds, three tenses, and four continents at once. In short, we have grown so good at mastering time that nanoseconds now weigh heavy on our hands. And then listen to this statistic. This comes from a group called the Putnam Group. And, and this, is, this, is tw- this is 12 years old. Listen to this. The number of people who always feel rushed has jumped 50% between the 1960s and the 1990s. Now imagine, that, that must have increased over the last 12 years or so. So, even today, is the heaviness of life just just destroying your joy? Is there a gospel for you to dwell upon? And does it, what does it do? do you, are you just as busy as the next person, laboring, not, not wanting to miss out on anything? Well, in the gospel, you haven't missed out on anything. You haven't missed out on a single thing. And yet we are compressing time. We are uh, feeling the weight and the heaviness of the moment. We hear Solomon say, look, don't let that get the best of you. Go out and enjoy. Uh, go out and enjoy some good food. And we hear Jesus say, taking food and drink, saying, do this in remembrance of me. In the midst of the heaviness and, 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 and sorrow and, and the inconsistencies of this life, Jesus commands us in the Lord's Supper to celebrate. In the midst of the darkness, I want you to know that coming your way is a city of endless joy, of ceaseless praise, of consistent justice. This should now impact us today. It should make us slow down a bit, be more purposeful, enjoy the finished work of Jesus. You see, Solomon is, Solomon is a good preacher, but he's limited. Jesus is a better preacher, and his His grasp of wisdom is unlimited. And he comes, who would have thought that he would come as a human being and come to rescue us from this heavy, heavy life? You have been given unlimited resources in the word of God to buoy you up, 
to strengthen you, to cause you not to despair, but to see God working? And let me finish with this one verse from Colossians 3, because this is, this is very important for us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. That's a joyful people who learn to eat and drink and rest, speak to each other in song, uplifting song, good song. Why? Because we've tapped into this unlimited knowledge and wisdom that Jesus is providing us, how we can live beyond the heaviness of this moment and rest and enjoy the triumph of Jesus. You see, all this evil in Ecclesiastes 8, Jesus swallowed up in his grave. He now declares to us, he speaks to us today from heaven itself as the ascended king and says, I've conquered all that. It's true, it's true. Live in this beautiful news of the triumph of Jesus. You'll never get to the bottom of this well. Find great satisfaction in this wonderful gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the power of the gospel. It lifts our hearts. It lifts the heaviness of our moment. Thank you for the great wisdom of Jesus that went to the cross for sinners like us, that rose from the dead victorious, who now we are not shut off from your deep work, the deep connections. You've revealed yourself. Thank you for your great love. We respond in song to your word today. Seal these truths to our heart. Amen.